been going through a summer series on uh, God's priorities for our praying. We've been doing that by simply looking at some of the prayers that God has revealed for us to learn from, to pray. So we've been looking at a number of things from the Lord's Prayer and to Paul's prayers. A lot of Paul's prayers, he's praying for power. He's praying for power to know God better, power to grasp the dimensions of his love, power to be bold with the gospel. And really today he's praying for the power to love, to love more than we do. It's one of the things we need more than everything, anything else is God's grace and power to enable us to be and to do what he calls us to be and to do. So we're in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Philippians 1, 9 to 11, hear then the word of God. And it is my prayer that your love would abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you can approve what is excellent and so to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness, it comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we have gathered this morning as your people to sit at your feet and learn of you. Father, we pray, we ask that you would cause our love to abound more and more in knowledge and discernment and understanding that you would come now among your people and not only speak to us information from your word about love, but that you would fill us afresh with your spirit and shape us and mold and empower us in the ways of love. For you are love and we would be like you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. More and more love. Everybody would like that message. There it is. That's what Paul is praying for. He wants more and more love, that the church, you and I, would be more and more loving. He prays for it. He doesn't assume it. He asks for it in the grace of God, that God would give it, that he would would work it in us. This is incredibly important because it is hard to overestimate the importance of this prayer. And as I said, as we look for God's priorities in our praying, my prayer would be that this would become your prayer for us. That his love would abound through our loving more and more as a church in the midst of this community. It's hard to overestimate the importance of it. If you think about it, the scripture tells us, 1 John 4, 16, that God is love. God is love. It's in some ways one of those ontological statements, a statement of his being. God is love. Goes on to say, whoever abides in love abides in God. So we would want to abound more and more, abide more and more in love because we would want to abide. Abide more, in a sense, more in God. And as we do, God abides in us. Right? That is important. 1 John 4.12, a couple of verses before this, he says, If we love one another, 
God abides in us. Right? And so it makes it clear that it's not just that we abound in love or even love for him or even his love for us. But he says, as we abide in love for one another, as we love one another more and more, we abide in his love. So there is this corporateness to it. Galatians 5.22, we're told the fruit of the Spirit is love. The first fruit of the Spirit is love. The preeminent grace of the Christian life is, he says, love. So it is important that we would abound in it. It is the chief mark of the people of God, the God who is love, that we would abound in it. And that our goal in life, in the Christian life, would be to abound in it more and more. That it would be abundant in us and through us. 1 Corinthians 13.1, Paul writes and he says, You know, if I have all knowledge and I have all faith and I can do everything, but I have not love, I'm, a, I'm just a noisy symbol. A noisy gong, a clanging symbol. I'm just... I'm just empty noise. If I have not love, I can do all these Christian things, he says. And he says, but if I have not love, I am nothing. And so I want love, and I want, I want more and more of it, because my God is love. And it's what he calls us as we are made in his image and in renewing us in his image. Love fulfills the law. All of it. All of it, Paul says. On, on this, all the law and the prophets hang, that you would love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself, that you would love. Our loving each other is a manifestation of the abiding presence of God in the lives of his people. In the absence of such love, we're just making noise. If you remember in the last few weeks, last few times I've been preaching in, uh, in Ephesians, of prayer in Ephesians 1 and 3 and 6. In, um, in Ephesians 1, he was praying for power. And in the first uh, three chapters, he, is, he, is, uh, he wants us to have power to know God better in the vast dimensions, which is he goes in chapter 3 and he prays, to know the vast dimensions of God's love. Right? Do you remember, if you haven't seen that, Ephesians 3, that we would have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God. Right? So he prays, and I want us to see that in Ephesians, in chapters 1 to 3, Paul had been telling them, informing them, giving them the knowledge of the dimensions of God's love. Right? If you read chapters 1 and 3, he says, when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, God made you alive in Christ and seated you in the heavenly realms with him. He loved you in Christ before the foundations of the world so that in the ages to come, he might show you the immeasurable riches of his grace. He teaches them the knowledge of the vast dimensions of his love and then he prays for the power to grasp it, to grasp it in its knowledge that we would get it, that we would understand it, but even more than that, that we would experience it, that it would come home in a sense to roost. He prays for this grasping of God's love, and it has this experiential component, and he has a knowledge component. Because it's not enough simply to understand and experience God's love 
Paul also prays, because if you look at Ephesians where he tells them the vast dimensions of his love, he prays that they would grasp the vast dimensions of his love, and then he tells them in the last three chapters what that looks like. If you were to live out that love, if you really grasped it, and it, in a sense, grasped you, and you see in verse 4, therefore, it has to do with the way we love each other and forgive each other and are patient with each other and, and pray for each other. And, and, and it goes on and on what that love looks like. And Paul is praying. That's what this prayer is this morning. It's that praying uh, for love, but also a love that is full of knowledge and discernment. And that it would be lived, embodied, applied. And that's what this is, is we love each other more and more. It's one thing to grasp God's love for us. And it's another thing for it to be lived out in us, through us, applied, that that love would make a difference. And what the Scripture tells us in every page of the Scripture, particularly in the New Testament, that if, if you grasp His love, you will love His people, you will love each other. You will live it out. You will live the experience of that love out in profound ways, in community. Paul's prayer is for more love, for it to abound. He's saying there needs to be a lot more love in the church. He's praying, he thinks, he thinks there needs to be more, a lot more love in the church and in the world. And so, As we apply the grasping of God's love, you and I would be more and more loving. So let's stop and consider then what is Paul asking for when he prays for love, that, God, that, he would, that, that, that love would abound. So there's an incredible amount of confusion about this. Right? That, that you would say, well, Robert, you know, we might be thinking you just said he's praying for love. So um, everybody knows what love is, don't they? Don't they? Do, do we? I don't know that we do. Oftentimes when I experience life in the church, I'm not always sure that I know what love is or, or that some of us know what love is. We wrestle with it. The world wrestles with it. What is it? What is love? And he's praying for it. What does it look like when we find it? Because it's not just the world that's confused about it. There are some very weak and vague ideas about what love is and what it looks like to live it out together. But here's the thing. Paul does not leave us to scratch our heads and Look at the sky and try to figure it out. I wonder what love is. Right? We're not left for that. Paul, Paul's not like that. Paul's like, here, let me lay it out for you. Right? I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm thinking. Because after, in 1 Corinthians 13, after saying that if I have all knowledge and faith in all this, but I have not love, I'm nothing. Right? If I, and if I do all this and do all this and sacrifice all this and have not love, I'm nothing. And then he says, but in case you're confused about what that is, that if you don't have it, you're nothing. Love. Let me tell you what it is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. Right? You start to get it. When he prays for love, he's praying for your patience with each other. When he's praying for love, he's asking more love. He is asking for more kindness and less envying and less boasting, less being full of ourselves, right? It's not rude. It's not condescending. 
And it doesn't insist on its own way. You know, where and how often are we insisting? It's got to be this way. It's got to be this way. It's got to look this way. It's got to, you know, our way. And he says, no, in the community of grace, what does it look like? Not insisting on our own way. Not being irritable. Not being short. Not being resentful. The word resentful there, if in, in the NIV you see that's translated, does not keep a record of wrongs. Because being resentful is to hold something against, right? It's to reckon a wrong against somebody. It's to keep a record, right? It's, it's to not forgive. And so love doesn't keep a record. It's not resentful and grudging. It doesn't rejoice in wrong. It rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures everything. And in doing that, it never fails. Do we not need that in the church? Do we need more of that? I think we need more of that. I think we say, oh, I love you. This is what we vow in marriages. Sometimes I think that we forget this. I will love, honor, and cherish. We think keeping our vows is, I didn't leave you. I said, till death do us part, you're stuck with me. We didn't get divorced. I'm keeping my vow. Right? No, your vow was to love, honor, and cherish. That was simply the duration of your vow. Right? The, to love is, so what you vowed, what you vowed was that you would be patient with your spouse and kind. And that you wouldn't keep that record of wrongs. That you would tear it up and throw it away. That you would stop keeping score and every time that something comes up that you bring it all up and throw it in their face because you've got a good record of it. Let me tell you. It starts back here. I'll tell you all the ways I've been hurt, all the ways I've been. Right? Love doesn't do that. Thank God God doesn't do that when he loves us. He forgives us and cleanses us and he starts fresh. And so this is the vow that we make, but it also, my friends, is what it means to be part of the body of Christ. Maybe we'll call it in the membership vows or just say that it's the very nature of things that when you are the body of Christ together here, we're called to this love. That's very concrete. It's very solid. It's very specific. It's very powerful. Robert, you are out of your head with idealism. I've been accused of that before. There are many times I'll sit in counseling or in different sessions and I'll tell them, God says to do this, you know, endure all things patiently, like forever. You know, God says this and they're like, what do you expect? How long do you expect me to put up with this? You've got to be out of your head. Don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> I just stand as an ambassador of Jesus proclaiming his word. And this is what he says. He says love doesn't fail. <laughs> so I say love doesn't fail. Who can love like that? No one can. And if you haven't caught this from all of Paul's prayers, he's praying for power. He's praying for God's grace. Oh Lord, who can stand? Who can do it? To love like you. It's divine. It's beyond me. I am not equal to the task. Such a thing drives us to prayer. It drives us to seek what we need. You're right. You cannot love your spouse consistently like that over decades. 
and decades and 50 and 60 and 70 years till, till the Lord takes us home and death parts us unless by God's grace we experience these things, forgiveness and mercy and patience. I'm not calling you. Paul's not calling you. God never calls you to manufacture love or anything else. He never says, you can do it, just do it. He says, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love. If you want, if you want to love more and more, you better start praying for it. You better start asking for it, for the, the power and the grace and the presence of the Holy Spirit to be more than I am, to give more than I have, to forgive when I am hurt, to do what he calls us to do, to be all of this, which is beautiful and powerful. God is love. It's verse 11, filled with the fruits of righteousness, the first of which is love, to be filled with the fruits of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ and Him alone. Oh Lord Jesus, only as I abide in You and You abide in me will I find the grace to love day after day, seek it every day. Forgive me for where I failed yesterday and fill me afresh with your spirit and enable me to love better today. And when we pray like that day by day and year by year and decade by decade, we are shaped and formed in the image of Christ and of God. All Christian work, witness, character, including the preeminent grace of love is in Christ. So we have to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might to love mightily. When you seek it from his hand, from his presence. So understand that when Paul is praying for love, when he says, may love abound more and more, would you be more? He's praying, oh God, will the church be more patient with each other? Would the church be more kind? <laughs> would they stop insisting that it is their way? Would they, would they stop being full of themselves? No more arrogance. Father, let there be more humility among your people. Right? Let them endure and bear with and, and not give up and abandon hope. People tell me it's the last straw. I'm done with her. Can't tell you. She's hurt me again and again and again. It's been going on. It's from the beginning. I can tell you. So this is the last straw. I will endure it no more. I will not work with her. I, won't, I don't want to do anything. Don't get me wrong. I love her. I'm just, I've just had it. Do you understand? I've, things like this are literally said to me in the church. That's it. No more patience. No more kindness. I've got a long record of wrongs. I've lost hope. I'm done bearing with it. But I love her. I love him. By definition, we're not loving. By definition, because love is patient. 
and it bears all things. And it doesn't keep a record. By definition, it's not loving. What we're doing is the very opposite of love. And something funny goes on in our heads that we can say that we're not going to do any of the things that define love and, and yet claim to be loving at the same moment. It's just not true. We're self-deluded. James talks about it in God's word that we would not be deceived, that we would right, be doers of God's word and so not deceiving ourselves. In so many ways we deceive ourselves and we think we're doing God's word or we say we're doing God's word when we're really simply deceived about the whole thing. You can do the same exercise with the fruit of the Spirit that you did with 1 Corinthians 13, because I believe the fruit of the Spirit, are the, our love, the fruit is one fruit, love. And what does it look like? Like joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Paul defines it very concretely, and he says if we don't have it, we're just making noise. We're just making noise. And so Paul prays for our love. Verse 9, he prays for our love to abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. That is according to the truth that our love wouldn't be some vague, cultural, sappy, weak notion of love, but that I would love with knowledge, biblical, according to the truth of what God has said love is. And I will not count myself to be a lover until I love like that. I will not count myself. I will love according to knowledge, according to what the Word says. Ephesians, not just all grasp his love in some vague notional sense, but chapters 4 to 6, what does that look like in church and in relationship with each other? He will love according to knowledge and discernment. Sometimes you come across an anti-intellectual bent in the church. Sometimes I'm told, you know too much. You think too much. <laughs> you know, all you need is love. Right? And you can hear the Beatles singing it, can't you? All you need is love. And then Paul would sing back to them, I need to know what love is. I can I love you, but I don't even know what it is. I gotta love according to knowledge. I need to know what love is. I need to know according to the truth. And then all you need is love. To abound in the knowledge and the understanding. And he says, knowledge and discernment. The NIV has, I think, knowledge and understanding. Um, there is this idea of good sense. The second one, there's knowledge and the and that the good sense or the wisdom, like that discernment is to choose well. Right? So in our loving, there are choices to be made. There are decisions to be made. There is a, a, an understanding so that we would love according to the truth and the knowledge and all discernment that I would choose well and I would live well. That I would live it out in a way in the church that actually is in accordance to the truth and we'll see bears the fruit in verse 10. Because it's, we need to understand that it, it is possible to have all knowledge and lack good judgment. It's possible to know what love is in that sense, 1 Corinthians 13, but he says that knowledge can puff up where love builds up. Understanding and insight. 
Because love is, is more, they have to come together, you know, first that we know what love is, and more than that, that we would love well. That we would be discerning and wise in applying it in our relationships and in the struggles and in the fights and in the issues and the concerns and the personality conflicts and the difference of opinion and the, this way, and the, that we would be discerning in living it out and loving each other. Loving well involves this application. And let me give you one more way that we should love in knowledge and understanding. And it's a knowledge and understanding of people. You can only love someone if you know them in some regard. I mean, in, in the people you love the most. So we try to get to, you know, and as I get to know you, your passions and your gifts and your, your character, your kindness and whatever. And I, and I love you for that. But it also, in people that are hard to love, understanding, to love in knowledge and understanding. You know, just an extreme example to make my point. We had a, a, a young man, same age as my son, named Thomas, who's homeless and was showing up at, at our old location of the church. I don't think he's found us out here. Um, but he was showing up. And when I first met Thomas, you know, I had on my shell, I had on my skepticism, I had on my whatever. And when he was talking to me, and, and every time I would say something to him or ask him something, he would give me these weird answers and he would repeat questions and he would say these things. And I'm like, are you, are you messing with me? Like this, I don't have time for this, you know. And then we would go on a little bit and I would think, you know, are you on drugs? Are you, are you wasted? I mean, is that what's going on here? You know, I, I spent time with him and then I spent time with him again and again. And I come to figure out that he's actually sober and not messing with me, but he's not. He has issues um, of communicating, his issues of being in touch with reality and had issues. And the more I understood that I'm dealing with someone who is mentally ill, the more I understood I'm dealing with somebody who is broken, the more compassion I had on him. Where at first I was just like, what? You know, and then the more it's like, what, can I buy you some clothes? Can I buy you some food? You know, that he is broken. But there is this in all of us, to understand why people are the way that they are, the ways that we have suffered, the ways that we are broken, the, the, the bad day that we've had to the bad life that I've had, to the, the different ways that in knowledge and understanding that would, that would help us to have patience and kindness toward each other, that would help us to be compassionate to move toward each other. Knowledge and understanding can foster compassion, inform our love, and soften our hearts. And so he says we want love to abound more and more in this way, concrete, biblical love according to the truth, that it would abound in not only that knowledge, but that discernment, that wisdom of applying it in these circumstances, understanding each other, <clears throat> seeking to honor God. And he says, so that, and Paul gives us the four, in a sense, applications are the four things that come out of it, the so that, the so what. I want love to abound more and more, verse 10, so that, you know, four things. So that we would approve what is excellent. So that we would be pure and blameless. So that we would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. It comes in Christ. So that God would be praised and honored in us. Right? And that's where he goes. I want more love because, because when there is more love, more intelligent, what I would call in the sermon title, intelligent love. Right? Love according to the truth. He says we'll be able to approve what is excellent. Because so many times I cop the wrong attitude with you or you do with me. 
So how do I get the right one? How do I approve what is excellent, the excellent way, the right way, the God-honoring way, the Christ-like way, right? That's what we need to do. We need love to abound more and more in knowledge and insight so that I can be that, apply that discernment and approve what is excellent, right, holy, righteous, right? That's, that's the way I need love to abound so that I am doing that. And in order to do that, to cop the right attitudes and the right actions, we need to put away the silly and cultural and vapid and weak and self-deluding notions of what love is so that I can approve the right things. Excellent. In the eyes of God. Love needs to be intelligent so that, he says, knowledge and depth of insight so that we may be pure and blameless. We will only be pure and blameless when we love according to the truth. When we love the way we sometimes love, call it love, we're not blameless. We're not living according to the truth. We're not reflecting God's character. In fact, in many ways, we are defaming him to say God is love and I'm his child and, and I'm, you know, live in love and I believe in love and then I think this way and treat you this way and act this way and cop this attitude and we defame. Wow, is that what the love of God looks like? Oh, Lord, help us. Lord, save us to be pure and blameless. He says, I pray that, that biblical love, love according to knowledge and discernment would abound so that we would be pure and blameless in the way that we Love one another. Because when we're self-deluded about it and go on acting in ways that are opposite to godly love, we do damage to our own souls. We do damage to other people. We do damage to the honor of Christ. We do damage to the witness of the church. Oh, that love would abound among us. Love has to be intelligent so that we would be filled with the fruits of righteousness that come through Jesus Christ. And we've defined all of these. Right? If I'm loving in the weak and vapid and empty ways of the, uh, uh, the, you know, the world, and sometimes I delude myself, and then this is what it's about. I'm not bearing the fruits of righteousness, the fruits of the Spirit. Right? But the fruits of righteousness that are in Christ, the God who is love, love, and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, and forgiveness, and not having our own way, and not being arrogant, and not being envious. These are the fruits of righteousness. When we put aside those things which are of the flesh, the works of the flesh, and bear the fruit of the Spirit, he says, this will happen as love abounds. More and more. And he says, only when we love well, only when we love biblically according to knowledge, and with real discernment, and choosing what is excellent, only then will we bring glory and praise, as he says in the end of the verse, to God. The quantity more and more and the quality according to knowledge and discernment, the quantity and the quality of our love is all about the glory of God. Giving him the glory he's due by being people who love like this. Only when we love much and when we love well, as God defines it, do we bring him honor and glory. You know that love is a fulfillment of the law. Paul says that. And I think we need to capture that and just, I'll leave it with there and just saying everything that Paul calls us to. And you can read, you know, Ephesians 4 to 6. 
No slander, no gossip, you know, no anger, no resentment, putting aside all of these things. This is love. Nothing more, nothing less. Love fulfills all the law. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And my command is what? To love one another. Right? Love fulfills everything. It doesn't steal from others. It doesn't take from other people. It's faithful to other people. It doesn't damage their reputation. It doesn't attack them. It's not impatient and it's not irritable and it's not demanding and it's not all those things. Love fulfills the whole law because love is literally to be God-like. God is love. Pray with me. Oh, Father in heaven, come now in the midst of your people and make love to abound to abound, to overflow more and more today. Even now, be softening our hearts by your grace that we could love according to knowledge and truth. That we can bring honor and praise and glory to your name by the way we love. We ask it and pray it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.